Our son Mason, our seven-year-old, he's got a little encyclopedia set made for kids. He loves to read it. Uh, a couple of days ago, he came across one of the articles in the encyclopedia about a giant iceberg up in the Arctic that is very slowly melting and losing its mass. And in the article, it said scientists are concerned that if the iceberg should melt entirely, that it would you know, raise the sea levels around the world. Well, a couple of hours later, hours later, Mason comes to us, Jennifer and me, with this very troubled look on his face. We say, what's, what's wrong, buddy? He said, I'm, I'm worried about that iceberg. Uh, you know, something a seven-year-old in Mississippi has very little control over, but it was bothering him. You know, we're trying to reassure him, but it, it's, it, it was, it was, he was worried about it. You know, it started making, making me think about my own heart, my own life, especially in preparation for a message like this. How much worry do I carry around with me? How many things do I tend to worry about? I, I, I'm not a big worrier. I'm not the kind of person who loses a lot of sleep at night thinking about things that, that I regret or things that may be. I'm not, I'm not a big worrier. And yet, when I really started to think about it, to take inventory, I realized that it's all over my life. I worry. I worry about my kids staying healthy this time of year during flu season. I worry about finances all the time. I worry about bills. Are we going to get an unexpected bill that we weren't planning for? I worry about the structural foundation of our house living here in central Mississippi. I worry, I worry about being a good enough dad, a good enough husband. I worry about being a good pastor. Uh, I worry on a day like today, a Sunday when it's raining outside. Are, are, you know, are people going to come to church in the rain? I worry about uh, how many more miles are we going to get out of our minivan before that thing shuts down on us. I worry about what other people think about me. I worry about our country. I worry about our politics. I worry if I'm going to, what if I, what if I vote for the wrong person on Tuesday and I don't realize it until later on. Y'all, it's, I could go on all day of the things that concern me, that I worry about, that I have anxiety over. Now, that's my question for you. I'm going to turn it around. What do you worry about? For some of us, worry, anxiety is paralyzing, and it does keep us up at night. It's constant. For others of us, maybe you're kind of more like me. You're not a big worrier, and so the thing you try to do, like me, is you just try to ignore it. You try to suppress it. You pretend like it's really not there, and yet it is. It is. For almost all of us, I can assure you, we worry. And there's so much to worry about, right? We're justified, we, see, we feel like. Well, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us an interesting perspective on worry. There's a part of me, sometimes I think, here, here in my little, you know, bubble of existence, sometimes I wonder if God is just totally put out with me. The things that I worry about, if Almighty God up in heaven is just like, Kyle, get your act together. Come, what are you worried about? But you know what? Right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes about a half a chapter almost, not to shame us about the things we worry about, but actually to engage it, to talk to us about it, and to show us a better way. Jesus uh, cares about what we care about. In fact, that's what First Peter says, is to cast our anxiety upon God because he cares for you. Not because he's sick of you or put out with you, but he cares for you. And so Jesus takes this issue of worry head on, but he does something that we desperately need him to do. We need to hear it. He treats worry not as some abstract issue of life. He treats it as a matter of faith. And that's what we need to hear. That's what I need to hear this morning. Jesus approaches worry as a matter of faith. And so this is a scripture. We look at it. It's going to sting us in certain ways. I think it should. But it also liberates us. It really sh it re we, should, we should, I hope, see that there's freedom in what Christ says about this issue today. So, so look with me again at verse 25. We see the word 
therefore or for this reason, Jesus starts off talking about worry by connecting it to what he just said. What we looked at last week, if you were here last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus calls us to establish, to build up, not treasures on earth, not temporary treasure, but heavenly treasure. Store up treasures in heaven that cannot be lost or taken away from you. Treasure God first and foremost. All right, that's what we saw. For this reason, then he begins to talk about worry. And so the question may arise, okay, I know I'm not supposed to build up, build my life on earthly treasures, right? But there are still things we need here on earth, and I wonder if God cares about the things that we need. That might be the rational question that comes from the treasure conversation, and Jesus is going to kind of approach that topic now. He says, therefore, in light of building your life on heavenly things, not on earthly things, let me talk to you about what your heart is prone to do. You're still prone to worry about all this stuff down here. Let me talk to you about it, Jesus says. So this is what he does, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, Jesus takes a very top-down view of life here. We see it. He mentions three very basic needs, food, water, and clothing. Now, these may not be the three primary issues of worry in your life. For us, if you're a middle-class person, we don't tend to really worry as much about food and water and clothing like some other people in our community and in our world do. But I want you to understand when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking primarily to people who live around what we would call the poverty line. He's talking to farmers and day laborers. He's talking, of course, to people who, because of their sicknesses or disabilities, cannot work and have only to rely on their families or to beg for food, okay? He's talking to people about very basic needs that would have been real to them, things that they were concerned about. He's not talking about luxuries. You and I may worry about luxuries, okay? Uh, that's not really what he has in view here. So let's just, for the sake of context, we see that. But Jesus, listen, he mentions three things that are basic. You, you can starve, you can die of thirst, you can die of exposure. You need food, water, and clothing, right? We do. But he draws a line in the sand right up front. He says, is life not more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? This life, Jesus says, this life, this material world is not all there is. Life itself is more than just what we see and what we can consume or what we can put on. We do need food, water, and clothing to survive, right? But Jesus says that's not the totality of what makes life. That's biologically true, but it's not spiritually true because life, Jesus says, is found ultimately in God. There's a deeper, higher, greater life we're talking about here that has very little to do with food, water, and clothing. Now, here's what's interesting. God created our physical bodies to require food and water. He made it that way. I guess he didn't have to, but he did. God also, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, God created the first pairs of clothing. God clothed Adam and Eve after their fall, okay? So God's all about clothing, too. We see that. These are, not, these are not things that God denies that we need them. But Jesus is trying to establish perspective here. Your body needs food. Your body needs clothing. But God is the one who gives life. Life is more than those things. And he has given us life in Christ, okay? 
top-down perspective. Stop thinking about only the horizontal, Jesus says, and recognize the reality of the vertical, okay? So big picture perspective, yes, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And I love what he does next. I've always been fascinated with this. First time I ever read it, I was 16 years old, I remember, reading this chapter right here. He says, verse 26, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? We have at our, in our backyard, we've got a little bird feeder. It's situated right outside the back window. And we love, Jennifer especially, we love seeing the cardinals and the blue jays. We've got even some hummingbirds that come around our backyard. And you know what Jesus says, we've observed it, what Jesus says is true. That I, I have yet to see in our backyard birds taking seeds and then planting them into the ground for some future harvest. Or even birds taking seeds back up to some storehouse somewhere right, to save them for later. They, they just don't do that. Jesus says, your heavenly Father takes care of them day by day by day. He feeds them. Okay? But you notice the contrast here? Jesus says, are you not worth much more than they? You see the birds of the air, how beautiful they are, how God cares for them. Are you not worth more than birds? Hey, y'all, you're worth more than a bird. You can write that down and post it on your mirror for daily encouragement, okay? You're worth more than birds. Here's the cool thing, that God has created, right, this, in, this unbelievable world in which we live, where we have these varieties of birds, and God takes care of every single one. He values them. Jesus said, even when a bird dies, when a sparrow falls to the ground, it doesn't happen apart from your Father's care, okay? God cares about his creation, but he cares uniquely for you. You're worth more to him than those birds. He loves you. In God, in his grace, chooses to care for them, but how much more, Jesus says, will he care for you? Again, there's perspective there. And look again at, uh, look now at verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. They don't have to work to grow. And yet I say to you, not even Solomon, in all his glory and splendor, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Just like the birds, Jesus says God cares for the flowers of the field. These flowers are more naturally beautiful than any man-made fashion, no matter how much it costs to wear. What God created in nature is more lovely than that. And if God so cares for the flowers, Jesus says they shrivel and die in a matter of weeks. They get mowed over. They get thrown into the furnace. How much more does he care for you? How much more will he clothe and take care of you? Now, clothing, if we're making a list of these three basic needs, food, water, clothing, clothing would come last. I mean, it is the least essential of those three. But Jesus just throws them all into the same category here. He makes them out to all be the same. They all come up under God's care and concern for you. Jesus treats them the same. He says, listen, this is a matter not of practical reality so much as it is a matter of faith. If God controls and, and cares for the, uh, the temporary things of his creation, how much more will he take care of you? Jesus says this ultimately has come down to a matter of faith. Um, to those who constantly worry, Jesus says it at the end of verse 30, you saw it, you have little faith. This is part of the sting here, okay? Um, 
And let me just, let me take a quick sidebar. Uh, there is, y'all, there, let's be clear, there's such a thing as clinical anxiety that I don't fully understand, and I don't have any experience with it. But it is real. And um, some of us, uh, I, I don't want, if, if, if this is who you are, or what you struggle with, rather, if this is something you struggle with, or you're close to someone who does, I don't want you to hear me give you the impression that we just throw a blanket over all anxiety, and it's all the same, no matter what the degree is. Okay? Um, Jesus, I don't think, wants to, to shame you if there is a chemical or some issue of depression. There's something in you that is, that is deeper and greater than just common everyday worry. And I don't want you to hear me say that either. Okay? So our desire as a church is not for you to leave today feeling condemned for something that maybe is beyond your control in large part, but that we would be able to walk graciously with you through it. Okay? So if that's you, I just want you to hear me on that, that I'm not trying to, to hammer the nail down further for you if this is uh, that deep of a problem, okay? Um, But for the rest of us, okay, for the rest of us, when we're talking about just common everyday worry, the things that we worry about, Jesus says, this worry, Kyle, this worry is rooted in a lack of trust. It's rooted in a lack of faith. See, I think I'm being wise and smart and practical with all the things I worry about. Because I, you know, I don't, I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want to be prepared for this. You know, I'm, that when I worry, all I'm doing is just being smart. Okay? But Jesus is pointing out something for me, something for us. That in the case of worry, our whole fixation becomes earthly. It becomes temporary. We take our eyes off of heavenly things, off of God, and we begin to think only in the horizontal, only in the present. Right? And we begin to think, um, if all of these issues... Are, are very real and present for me, if they're dominant in my heart, then we start to think maybe God doesn't notice or doesn't care or doesn't have the power to do anything about it. See, it's not just a matter of I'm thinking less about God and more about these things, but now I start to think that maybe God doesn't care, that, that, that God doesn't have my best interest in heart. And that, that's something that I've, I've heard said, that our common everyday worries are a statement ultimately to God that says, God, I can't trust you with all the things that concern me in this life. Okay? I don't really think that God's going to come through. You see how this is an issue of faith? Uh, y'all remember, there's a great story, it's in Mark chapter 4, of Jesus and his disciples in a boat. And there's this terrible storm that comes upon them very suddenly. And it's not, a, it's not an everyday kind of storm, it's, it's a terrific storm. And the disciples are running around panicking. And, and you know what Jesus is doing in the midst of the storm? He's down inside the boat, asleep on a cushion. Well, the disciples come and find him asleep, and they accuse him. They wake him up with an accusation. They don't say, help! You know what they actually say to Jesus? They wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus, don't you, what what are you doing asleep? Don't you care that we're about to die? That was their accusation. Well, Jesus gets up and calms the storm, something only God can do. And then he turns and he rebukes his disciples. He's very stern with them. And he says, you of little faith. Same terminology we read here in the Sermon on the Mount. You of little faith. Why are you afraid? Now, it would seem obvious why they were afraid. They were, I mean, they were about to be capsized, right? And yet, it's, it's Jesus is saying, I think, in that moment, don't you believe for one second that I don't care about you? 
Don't you believe for one second that I don't have the power to save you? Don't you know who I am? See, little faith, little faith believes in God. It just doesn't trust God. I believe in God, but I don't believe that he can really take care of me, that he can really meet my needs, that he can, that he can step in in the midst of life's storms and provide for me. But Jesus is, is head on against that way of thinking here. He says, we've seen it so far, God is not only powerful to provide, powerful enough to provide for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and certainly for you, not only is he powerful to do it, but he cares for you. He, don't you care that we're dying here? Of course he cared. In his sleep, in his, in his silence, they assumed the worst. But then in his calming of the storm, he showed him who he really was. Right? Of course he cares. Now, we skip verse 27 momentarily, but it's really important. Let's come back to it because it really solidifies, I think, Jesus' point. You see verse 27? Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Some of us really need to hear that, that question. This is a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is nobody, right? If your life is in God's hands, what good does worry accomplish? If God is really sovereign and in control of the world, what good does worrying do? What can it add to your life? Here's the question, and it's a, it's a legitimate question. It's a logical question. What can worry add to your life? Worry only subtracts. Worry only takes away. Isn't that the truth? It erodes, it removes, it, it, uh, it disintegrates. That's what worry accomplishes. And so if you and I are not in control, which I hope is a very easy thing to acknowledge, and God is in control, then what is there ultimately to worry about? If you and I were in control, if God, were, if God didn't exist, or if he were somewhere far off, aloof and uncaring, if you and I were in control, then we'd have plenty of cause for worry, wouldn't we? You would then have to manipulate life to always try to work into your favor. You'd have to. That'd be the only choice you have. And yet Jesus assures us, that God has control over the universe and over us specifically. He has predetermined your life in the most significant ways. That's what the scripture says. God, in your book were written all the days of my life before there was yet one of them. God has already fixed the day that I will pass on. That's an intimidating reality, but it's also comforting. What do I have to worry about? Can I add an hour to that? No. So why worry? Um, it's, a, it's a statement of God's sovereignty, not just of our weakness. Right? I'm weak. I can't add an hour to my life, even if I wanted to. But God is ultimately powerful, and I can trust him. Uh, Jesus is going to turn the corner here as we, as we kind of conclude. Um, he's been kind of general. He's talked about flowers and about birds and about how God cares for us. He's going to start now getting a little more specific. Okay? And this is where he, he really, uh, I guess he kind of drives the nail in. He wants us to understand how, how much an issue of faith this really is, okay? Um, you may have read a book or, or a blog post or, or seen a resource on how to handle worry and anxiety. If you go to the, the self-help section of the bookstore, you'll find a lot on this. We're obsessed with this. Everybody's worried, but we don't know what to do about it. And so there are a lot of uh, what we would call secular approaches to how we can be less anxious. And, uh, and they range from all over the map. I mean, there's, you, you know, pet ownership will make you less anxious. There's apparently science behind that. Uh, gardening, 
Mindfulness is a big thing nowadays. Meditation, acupuncture. Stick some needles in your face. Help you relax. I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of opinions out there as to what can make us less anxious, okay? But Jesus, listen, if Jesus treats this as a matter of faith, then there's a distinctively Christian response. I, I'm, uh, breathing exercises are fine. I'm not against that stuff. But there's a distinctively Christian response that we don't get to choose as an option, okay? It's not A or B. This is it. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Look at this, beginning in verse uh, 20, or sorry, 31. Jesus says, don't worry then about what we will eat or what we'll drink or what we'll wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, the pagans. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All right. Uh, Why is that important? Jesus is talking about the Gentiles, the pagans. These are people who don't know God. They don't have faith in God. He says they run after these things. They constantly seek these things. They constantly worry about these things. Why? Because they have no alternative. I mentioned this a minute ago. In a world without God, what choice do we have but to try to manipulate and manufacture our circumstances to work for our good? We have no choice. There is no sovereign person above all of this. It's just up to you and me to try to figure it out. And in that case, we have plenty to worry about and to chase after. There is no life beyond this one, so we just got to get what we can get here and now, right? But Jesus reminds us we don't live in a world without God. Your heavenly Father, he says, knows what you need. And this is so wonderful. We saw this a few weeks ago with prayer. Jesus says God God knows what you need before you even ask him in prayer. And here Jesus reinforces that point, that when we have concerns, worries, things that we need, he says God knows already. Your heavenly Father is clear on that. There's no informing or educating God on your struggles. He knows. And so what we combat anxiety with Jesus says, is the truth that God not only exists, but God is powerful, God is in control, God cares for you, and he is not ignorant of what you need. He's close by, okay? So instead of Jesus saying, just don't worry, that's a passive command, now he gives us the active command, and this is really the heart of the scripture today. This is a very famous verse, and one I hope hope we'll memorize. Verse 33, he says, here's what you do instead. Don't worry, passive, right? But look at this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and everything else will be yours in addition to that, okay? Uh, To seek here, seek means, it, it doesn't mean you're looking for something that you don't know if it's there or not. You're seeking it, no. It's pursuing something that you know is there. It's taking hold of something that is precious to you, setting your mind to it, okay? And so when Jesus, when Jesus gives us the antidote for worry in this text, he doesn't just say it's wrong and you should stop it. Cut it out, right? No, he gives us an alternative. He calls us actively toward God. He says, seek first as of utmost importance, make the primary drive and desire and pursuit of your life the kingdom and the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That means that your greatest treasure in life is God's rule over you, that you're not trying to live life figuring it out, manufacturing it on your own, that God rules over us, and that he is a good king, 
that we treasure God's will. We want God's will for our lives, not our own ambitions alone. We want God's commands to be true for us and how we live and obey Him. We want God's character to define our character. We want God's heart to become our heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. His kingdom and His righteousness. Y'all, we, we mentioned this last week that being a Christian is not simply adding Jesus into your life. We might prefer that at times because we, we can then have all the blessings and the benefits without all the costs, right? I can just add Him in. But there is no such thing. There is no such life. Jesus will not be added in. He will not be managed. He is, and he deserves to be, central, primary, the sole and true treasure of the heart. Okay? And so when we, when we fixate our lives on him, suddenly we find out that much of what we worry about is really uh, like... Chaff which the wind drives away, maybe if you use the, the Psalm 1 analogy, right? We chase after stuff that ultimately doesn't matter if we have life fixated on Christ. Um, I, I thought about this a lot this week as I prepare for this message. Why do I worry about stuff so much? Besides the fact that I'm a sinner, you know, I mean, obviously that's number one, but why do I worry about stuff? I worry about things because things are unstable. Things are unstable. Life uh, the temporary things of life are un- unstable. You can't count on them, and that's why we tend to worry about them, right? Uh, people are unstable. My goodness, don't you know it's true? I look in the mirror, I see one of them every day. I'm unstable. I can't even count on myself half the time, right? Nature is unstable. Uh, health is unstable. Circumstances, we can't count on anything, right? Except one thing. There is, in truth, one thing that is unshakable, immovable, There is one person specifically that that does not change, that we can count on truly as our foundation for life, and that is God. And that's why Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, How do we do that? How do we seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness? Lots of good answers to that question. Let me just give you one for practical measure, okay? Um, I mentioned this at the beginning of the service you got to read your Bible. You have, to, you have to study the Word of God. Um, for a lot of reasons, here's one. When we, it, what is your primary input for life? As a Christian, it's meant to be God's Word, God's truth, right? But what do I tend to make my primary input? Well, social media, entertainment, news, politics, the opinions of others, right? Those things are inputs too. Well, when those things become dominant, and for a lot of us they are, and they become dominant, what we, be, what we begin to realize is that there's an endless amount of worry to fill our hearts and minds, right? All these unstable realities, that if they become my primary fixation, the things that I'm constantly taking in, then there's endless potential for worry, right? We ought to be worried about all these things. But when our chief fixation is God's truth, God's word, when he, when he gets the primary input into my life because I'm consistently in the Bible, then what we find is an eternal truth that cannot change, even if circumstances change, right? That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We find promises of God that cannot and will not be broken. All of the promises of God are answered yes in the person of Jesus Christ. Not one of them will fall short. We discover a hope and a grace in God's word that we cannot lose, even if we fall short. 
See, we find a solid, unshakable rock upon which we stand, and God's Word is, in so many ways, that rock. The one thing that is truly stable, that cannot be broken, that we have nothing to worry about when we're fixated on Him and His Word. Isn't that great? Now, if that, were, if that weren't enough, that is enough, right? But if, if that weren't enough, somehow, Jesus throws in the promise on top of it. Don't you notice it? Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember food and clothing and water, the necessities Jesus talks about? He says when you make Jesus your primary, God your primary fixation, when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, you get all the other stuff too. Right? It's not like God says, okay, you've got spiritual blessings and I'm going to hold out the rest. No, he says, I'll throw the rest in. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. God, who makes promises about infinite blessings, will throw in everyday things as if they were of small account. Right? God, who takes care of us infinitely, eternally, will throw in the other stuff as if it's nothing at all to him, because it's not. Remember, God knows what you need, and he cares for you, and so he'll have no problem caring for the things that we need. You see how this is an issue of faith? Seek him and let him take care of it. Um, listen to how Jesus closes out. You can almost, I mean, he, I can almost see him with a sly smile here in this last verse. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, right? He doesn't need to tell us that, but I'm glad he did. I'm glad Jesus recognizes what we all know to be true. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He affirms that for us. Y'all, how many, t- how many todays have you lost by worrying about tomorrow? How many todays have we lost worrying about tomorrow, worrying about the future? Jesus has told us life is more than things, that God is in control, that God knows what we need, that God cares for us, that God will provide for us. And in that case, listen, worry becomes not just a bad habit that needs to be managed. Worry becomes a thief that steals good things from us and it distracts us from our wholehearted pursuit of God. Worry becomes not something that you and I need to manage better. Worry then becomes a sin that you and I need to repent of. Because at its root, at least for me, at its root, it's a lack of trust in God. It's a lowering of my sights to other things that are lesser and ultimately temporary and insignificant. And I lose sight of what is eternal of God my treasure. And in that case, it's not just a bad habit, it's a sin that he needs to confront in me and probably in you too. So when Jesus talks about um, worry, he treats it as a matter of faith that we need to address actively. Not just stop it, but seek something else instead. Seek God instead, right? Now, can we get real about ourselves as we close? (laughs) Some of us in this room right now, you're worried about how much you worry. Okay? Don't we do that to ourselves? Oh, man, I'm too, I'm so, I'm, I'm worried, I'm worried, I gotta stop worrying, okay? We're worried about how much we worry, okay? We just can't help it. I do the same thing, okay? Uh, so let me give you some encouragement here, all right? Um, we spoke, I spoke a minute ago about Jesus calming the storm when his disciples were with him in the boat. Uh, sometime later, Jesus encountered a far greater storm than that one. That one was, was child's play compared to what Jesus faced when he hung on the cross. And I call it a storm 
Because in that moment, Jesus on the cross, Jesus took on our sins. He didn't die just to be a good example of giving your life for a cause. No. Jesus died for you and for me. He died for our sins. And in that moment on the cross, the scripture tells us that all of God's righteous wrath toward evil and sin was poured out. It rained down upon Jesus. That he didn't just die uh, to kind of abstractly forgive us. He took your sin upon himself. He became your sin and he bore the punishment for your sin when he died. What we deserve, the penalty we deserve for the sins we've committed, Jesus took them instead and he died in your place. He even died for the sin of worry. That one's covered too. And so listen, in the midst of our very, very minor storms compared to that one, in the midst of life's storms, in the midst of life's struggles, you and I are tempted, I'm tempted, to do just what the disciples did in the boat that one night, to look to Jesus and say, don't you care about me? In the midst of the things I worry about, in the midst of financial struggle, in the midst of relationship issues, or whatever it may be, don't you care about me? The answer to that question does not come from our circumstances. Jesus doesn't prove that he loves us simply by solving all of our problems all the time, okay? In fact, a lot of our problems remain on purpose, I believe. God keeps them upon us to drive us to him in faith because ultimately the answer to the question, do you care about me? Don't you care that I'm dying here? Don't you care about what I'm going through? The ultimate answer to that question is when we look at the cross, when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, that the, the answer, does God have your best interest at heart in this life? Today, where you sit, does he? You look to the cross for that answer. You can't look to your circumstances. Circumstances come and go. Bills come and go. Worries and anxieties come and go, right? The things that you worry about today may be of no issue at all tomorrow. But when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, we get an affirmative, resounding, yes, he cares for me. Proof positive that he cares for me. Eternally, yes. Today, yes, he cares because he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with Christ freely give us all things? Y'all, here's the good news. God, Jesus says, God very clearly cares about your daily reality, your daily needs, the things you worry about today. He cares, and he meets you in those needs. But in Christ, he doesn't just meet our base needs. He gives us all of his goodness and glory forever. He freely gives us all things, and we receive those things by faith, not by work. And therefore, we seek God's kingdom. We seek God's righteousness. And when we do, truly, when we do, we find that the things of earth, ah, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we need this. I need this desperately today. So much I worry about, way more than I'm willing to admit or want to admit. Because I want to be in control, and it, and it drives me crazy that I'm not. So, Father, would you do for me what I pray you might do for all of us this morning? To remind us of a central truth of our faith. We are not in control, but you are. And we wouldn't want to be if we knew what it required. Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, you can manage the entire universe. You uphold all things by the word of your power. And Lord, we can trust you. 
that you not only know what you're doing cosmically, Lord, but you know what you're doing in the life of Kyle York right now. And in every one of us in this room, we do not escape your notice or your care. You, Lord, who feed the birds, you care much more for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would take heart in that today, that, that, that maybe we have very deep-seated worries um, today, not just, not just trivial worries, but, Lord, meet us even in those deep places, I pray this morning, that we would look to you and recognize, Lord, that you are powerful, that you are loving, that you are caring, and that we would do what the Scripture calls us to do, that we would, that we would in faith, cast all our anxiety upon you to throw it upon your shoulders because you care for us. Lord, this is, this is not an easy thing for us to do um, because we, we just, we struggle to really trust you sometimes that you're, that, that you're this close and this powerful and this loving. And so, Father, would you do it right now for us, what we talked about moments ago, would you point us to the cross that we would see once and for all, finally, fully, forever, that you love us and that the proof of your love is an unshakable foundation for our life. Nothing we face, nothing can take away the glory, the beauty, the power of the dead and risen Jesus Christ come for us. Father, he is alive, and I pray as we look to him this morning that truly our cares and our worries would become very small, that, we would, that they would be squashed out because we have come to see you, oh, you, our Savior, our Counselor, our Comforter. Lord, nothing we feel or go through escapes your notice and care. And so let's give it to you this morning and trust you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.